Well, when Neil had asked me to preach this weekend, we knew that he was going to be gone to Rwanda. We knew that Ken was going to be in South Africa with Quest. And we had just heard that George was no longer going to be with us, moved on to a different ministry. We really had no idea about all these other things that were happening in the past couple of weeks. I've been asking God on what I should speak about, and I really had heard nothing from God about that. I teach the younger kids, so I knew that they were learning about faith this month. So I thought, that's exactly what God wants me to speak about, faith. And what do we do when we hear nothing from God? Faith, and what do we do when we hear nothing from God? Say, so I know there's many of you who write the same prayer request on the cards week after week, the same thing. And I don't think you write those because you're not sure whether God heard you. And I don't think you write those because you're not sure whether the staff even reads those things. I think you write those because they're important to you. You write those down because you want other people to join you until God gives you an answer one way or another. And so I want to commend you because that is an act of faith. Week after week, praying until God gives you an answer. See, most of us, we read the Bible and we get a snapshot of God working in history. And we wish and we pray that God would intervene in our life the same way. And sure, God can show up in supernatural ways. But if we're honest, most of our days are lived as though God is silent. So what do we do with that? It was a few years ago, I was working at another church, and I was pretty much stressed out more than I even realized. My wife and I had talked about it, and we had talked with the church leadership, and I felt that it was best for me to move on, best for me, best for the church, to walk by faith and just figure out wherever God would lead us. It was during that time that we got a call from DCF to take in our youngest son's sister. We had adopted him. We had him his whole life. And now we got a call to take in his sister. We gladly did so. We watched her for about eight months until her parents met all the requirements for reunification, and she went back to her biological parents. And it was a sad time for us because we really wanted brother and sister to be together. And that's really a whole other story, but it was not long after that that my time at the church had came to a close. We ended up moving in with my in-laws in Princeton. We were there for two years, way longer than I thought we were going to be there, and probably way longer than they thought we were going to be there. It was during that whole time that I had yet to secure an interview with another church. I got plenty of rejection letters, but I didn't have any leads, didn't have anything to follow up on. I couldn't even get a job at Walmart. I had no idea what was going on. But it was really during those winter months that I experienced some dark days because everyone else went off to work and I was at home with my thoughts and my prayers and really my weeping, trying to understand what was going on. I was experiencing some post-traumatic stress, some anxiety episodes. I was even in the hospital trying to figure out what was going on with my body. I didn't understand all of these things. We had just started coming here at Hope for a place to worship. But I remember one spring morning, I was outside teaching Mikey how to ride a bike. The sun was up trying to warm everything up. The sky was clear, but I remember looking in the sky. And I know you're not supposed to do this, but I asked God for a sign. God, I need to know that you have a plan for me. God, do you have a plan? I need to know. 
And so I stared at the sky for minute after minute because I didn't want to miss if God was going to send me a sign. I stared at the sky for 10, 20, 30 minutes. And during that time, you know what I saw? Nothing. Nothing. There wasn't a cloud in the shape of a cross. There wasn't a leaf that fell down from the tree with a heart eaten out of it by a caterpillar. My phone didn't ring with an interview. The chicken nuggets I had to make for lunch, they weren't prophesying to me. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. What are we supposed to do with that? I think there's points in people's lives where these things happen, and that's why they say, there's no such thing as God, or God doesn't care about me, or God doesn't care about my problems. And they walk away from the church. They walk away from their faith. And so as I was talking to myself, and I know most of you talk to yourselves, I really had to start preaching to myself. I had to preach to myself, what does the Bible say about where God is? I need to know. And so this morning, I hope that it's an encouragement for you to know, where is God? What is he doing? How do we understand when God is silent? So if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm chapter 139. If you're using the Bibles in front of you in the chairs, it's on page 527. We're going to be looking at quite a few scriptures this morning, so if you can flip along and follow along, that's great. If not, you can write them down, look at them later. But I want you to understand what God has to say throughout the Bible about where he is and what he's up to. Psalm 139. Lord, you have searched me and known me. He knows all about what's going on. You know when I sit down and when I stand up, you understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. I always thought that was weird. God's watching us while you're sleeping. My brother and I used to do this to our mom when we wanted to get her in the middle of the night. We never said anything. We just stood next to her bed staring at her. <laughs> and when she woke up, she was kind of really weirded out. And I don't know if that's like what this is about. but You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This extraordinary knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. Un I am unable to reach it. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol or the grave, you are there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. God knows exactly what's going on with you. He's not very far at all. He hears you. He sees you. He's there with you. He's leading you. He's upholding you. God was not away when you needed him. He wasn't out of the office when you made the call. He's not on vacation. He didn't take a break. He's not dealing with bigger problems. He's right there with you. He's never far away. 
And that's the message that even Paul wanted to preach to those who had never even heard about God. If you want to flip over to Acts chapter 17 in the New Testament. Paul is preaching his famous message on Mars Hill to those who were worshiping God made out of idols and images. But he wanted them to understand that God was near to everyone. Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in shrines made by hands. See, God did not just create everything and then sit back and allow the natural laws of the universe to run its course. He is the Lord, the ruler, the sovereign one, active in the world today. Verse 25, neither is he served by human hands as though he need anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. If you this morning have the ability to breathe, God has given you that ability to breathe. He's given you the ability to think and to process, to see and to hear, to taste, to touch, to walk, to move our arms, to, to worship him. He's given us all these abilities that we have today. Sometimes we think about all the things that we don't have and we don't think about what God has already given us. He's given us life and breath. He's active in our lives. Verse 26, from one man, he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and he's determined their appointed times and boundaries on where they should live. You are exactly where God wants you to be. When God created the earth, he had a plan, a design, and you're exactly where God wants you to be. Why? Verse 27. He did this so they may seek God, and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. See, God is concerned about having a relationship with you. God had a plan from the very beginning, for you to reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. God throughout history has been about pursuing your heart. He loves you. He wants to be with you. So much so that he was willing to do whatever it takes to remove any obstacles that was going to stand in between you having a relationship with God. Sin had entered into the world. Adam and Eve had sinned. We sinned. Our sin separates us from having a relationship with God. It's our fault. We bear the responsibility to deal with our sin. God created a system in the Old Testament for us to make sacrifices, and those sacrifices would then cover up our sins temporarily. But God said that's not good enough. And so Jesus Christ, who was God, who is God from the very beginning, humbled himself from heaven, came down to earth sinless and perfect, to die on the cross to become the final and ultimate sacrifice for our sins. He bore on himself your sins, my sins, so that we can have a restored relationship with him. That's how much God loves you. Not only that, when Jesus died on the cross and he rose again three days later, he showed himself to his disciples. Then it said that he ascended up into heaven. And if you turn over to the next book in Romans chapter 8, we're going to look at a few verses in Romans chapter 8. 
But we find out that Jesus didn't just ascend up into heaven and kick back, high five the, the angels and say, look what I did. Oh, yeah. I took care of sin. Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Not only did God take care of sin, but then he's up in heaven right now interceding for you. He's fighting for you. He's advocating for your behalf. And I kind of feel like one of those infomercial commercials, you know? But wait, there's more. Because not only is Jesus up in heaven interceding on our behalf, but he said that it was better for him to go back up to heaven because then they would send the Holy Spirit. And if you back up a few verses in verse 26, in Romans chapter 8, in the same way the Spirit also joins to help in our weakness because we do not know what we should pray for as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. Not only is Jesus Christ in heaven intervening on your behalf, but we have the Holy Spirit here on earth praying for us, interceding for us. And imagine if you're praying for the same thing over and over, you get to a point where you just go, I don't even know what to pray for anymore. You're on your knees weeping and crying, pouring your life out. And the Holy Spirit, with even more fervent emotion, is crying out to God too on your behalf with unspeakable groanings, praying that God would intervene. I think that's so cool. We have the Holy Spirit here praying on our behalf. We have Jesus Christ up in heaven praying on our behalf. God is not silent. He is fighting for us. He is with us. What's even more awesome is that if we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Paul says, Do you not know that your body is the sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You're not of your own. For those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross, we have the Holy Spirit living right inside of us. You know, I didn't need to look in the sky and say, where are you, God? I only needed to be reminded of the truth that because I had accepted the gift and grace of Jesus Christ, God himself was living right inside of me. I'm talking about wondering where God is. God is near. He's right there with us. I think that's why Paul ends up finishing Romans chapter 8 in verse 35. He says, who then can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or anguish or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Verse 37, no. And all these things were more than victorious through him who love us. For I'm persuaded that not even death or life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, height or debt, or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. When God is on our side, who can be against us? Nobody. Nothing can. Well, Paul was writing to the Corinthians about their body being a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit as a warning to them because they were using their bodies for selfish gain and sinful pleasures. And Paul says, you need to be using your body to worship God and to live your life as a reflection that God himself is living inside of you. And so I needed to 
think about this too. That if the Holy Spirit is truly alive in you, then the question is not where is God, but turning it around and saying, where am I? Where is my heart? Where is your heart? Because maybe if God feels like he's far away, maybe it's us that has something in our lives keeping God at bay or pushing him apart. And we've got to go back to this whole sin thing because sin has always been a problem in our lives. That's why Jesus had to come and die on the cross because of sin. And just because Jesus took care of it doesn't mean that we still don't sin. John writes in 1 John in chapter 1, if we say we have fellowship but we walk in darkness, we're liars. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. The truth is not in us. Listen, we're all sinners. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. Everywhere is a sinner, sinner, right? It's like an old McDonald's song, E-I-E-I-O. We're sinners everywhere. We got that. But that doesn't mean that we should minimize sin. Sin is a big deal. Why would God send himself? Why would God send his only son to die on the cross if sin was not a big deal? Sin is a big deal. It's something that we should consider. Is there some sin in our lives that's keeping us from not having that full fellowship with God? Is there some sin in our lives that we're not enjoying the, the full joy of our salvation? We need to ask God to reveal those things to us so that we can deal with those things. You know, God is not mocked. Whatever we sow, that we will reap. If we sow a life of sin, we're going to reap a life of sin and those consequences. If we sow a life of godliness and righteousness, we will, re we will reap that life of godliness and righteousness. James in chapter 4, verse 8 says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. But cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded people. James knows that we like to have our cake and eat it too. We want to do whatever we want to do, but yet we also want the benefits of living a close, intimate relationship with Christ. But we can't have both. We've got to deal with our sin. Maybe it has nothing to do with sin. Maybe we've asked God to reveal our sins. We've dealt with sin. We're working on relationships. Maybe it has nothing to do with stopping something. Maybe it has everything to do with starting something. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 73. You could turn there if you like. Psalm 73 is a psalm of Asaph. Asaph was really slipping in his faith. He saw something that really disturbed him. He saw that the, the wicked people in the world... They're the ones prospering. All the wicked people, they got life good. They've got no health problems. They've got no problems with wealth and health. But yet when you look at the righteous people, it's as though they're being punished every morning. That's not fair. Why should I live my life of righteousness when the wicked are the one that's got the good deal going for them? So in verse 16, he said, when I tried to understand this, it seemed hopeless. When we hear silence from God, sometimes it feels that we're in a hopeless situation. But I love the next verse, verse 17. Until I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood his destiny. Until I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their destiny. For some of us, it's time to get back to the Bible. It's time to get back into church. 
on a consistent basis. When we're not in the Bible, we're allowing Satan to infiltrate our hearts and our minds with lies. We need to be with a community of believers. We need to be taught the truth of God's word. We need to have our minds renewed by the washing of the word. Use the Bible to wash the truths into your mind, washing the lies right out. Maybe we need to be a little more consistent in life groups or in a mentoring relationship, an accountability group, or just getting here at church, getting back into the Bible. We need to hear the truth. The truth is that God loves you. God has been pursuing a relationship with you since the beginning of time. God is near. He wants us to reach out to him. He hears us. He's fighting for us. One of the other things that I see in the Bible is that we like to talk about Matthew 28. It's where Jesus reminds them he was going to be there with them till the very end of the age. It's called the Great Commission. And Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 28, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am there with you till the very end of the age. Now, is there a connection to why Jesus wanted to remind them that he was there with them when he's talking about going and making disciples? I think so. I think maybe it has nothing to do with getting back into the Bible. Maybe some of us, we have so much more Bible knowledge than we know what to do with. Maybe now is the time to get off our seat and go start teaching somebody else. Because when you get up and you're getting ready to go tell somebody at work about Jesus, you're praying. You're in the Bible. Because you don't want to say something stupid. Right? They're going to ask you a question, and you don't want to get it wrong. So when you're out making disciples, you're going to be spending more time in God's word. You're going to be spending more time in prayer. And it's really a shame, and I feel like on my part in America, that children's ministries are always looking for workers. Here's kids who want to learn about the Bible. And we've been learning about the Bible for decades. But we're scared to tell little kids about Bible stories. I don't get it. Now's the time for us to step up, go and make disciples. Maybe that's what we need to start doing. And you'll feel that God is with you when we're doing those things. You know, ultimately, I had to remind myself that it comes full circle. It's about faith. It's about faith. When Jesus died on the cross and he showed himself to his disciples after he was risen from the grave, there was one guy, Thomas, who hadn't yet seen Jesus. He heard everybody else's stories. He heard their testimonies, but he wanted to see it for himself. I got to see Jesus. Did he really rise from the dead? Jesus shows himself. Thomas believes and starts to worship him. But then Jesus says in John chapter 20 and verse 29, because you have seen me, you have believed. Those who believe without seeing are blessed. See, faith is believing in what we can't see. If you followed only what you could see, that's not called faith. Faith requires the element of not knowing something completely. Faith asks you to put your weight and trust completely on something that's not quite there. Faith was required when we first started this journey. 
Was I there when Jesus Christ died on the cross? No. Was I there when Jesus rose from the dead? No. Was I there when he ascended into heaven? No. Do I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins? Yes. Do I believe that Jesus rose again three days later? Yes. Do I believe that Jesus is now in heaven interceding on my behalf? Yes. Do I believe the Holy Spirit is here praying for me? Yes. Do I believe the Holy Spirit is alive inside of me? Yes. That's faith. Faith started our journey. And maybe our Christian life is also continually about faith. Doing things even though we're not quite sure what's going to happen. Faith and hope go together. We hope for a better tomorrow. But even if tomorrow's not better, we're okay with that because we know eventually we're going to a better place. We know that heaven is not earth. There's going to be something better. So faith and hope go together, that there's going to be something better that we have now. But also with that, faith and struggle then go hand in hand because we know, we know that we're in a place that's not quite right. And so as much as we don't want to experience hard times and struggles, we know they're going to come. So we shouldn't be fearful of hard times and struggles. We should use those opportunities to draw closer to God, to spend time in prayer, to spend time with a community of believers that can encourage us and challenge us with the truth of God's word. So I hope this morning that you're encouraged to know that God has always loved you. He's pursuing you. He wants to have an intimate relationship with you. And maybe there's some of you here today that you've never taken the step to start that personal relationship with Jesus. You know, God is near. You don't have to reach out very far to find him. But you can have God even closer. If you would admit that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, if you would believe that Jesus Christ really did die on the cross for your sins, and then if you would confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. He wants to forgive you. He doesn't want to hold on to those sins. He doesn't want to try to manipulate you in any way. He wants to forgive you and to have that relationship with you because he has put so much time and energy and investment into having a relationship with you. So if that's you, I'd encourage you to talk with God about that right now. Don't wait. And those of us who are Christ followers, I want to encourage us to ask the question, where are we at? Where's our heart? Is there some sin in our lives that we need to deal with to take sin seriously? Then ask God to forgive us of those things. Maybe for some of us, we just need to get back in a consistent rhythm, routine of getting back into church, getting back into the Bible so that we can hear and learn the truth of God and know that God is near and know how much he loves us and know how much he's fighting for us. Don't wait until your life is a mess. I see all too often people, they come back to church because their life is a mess. How did they get here? Where's God? What's he up to? We need to stay faithful as he is faithful and keep into the truth. So when we come to those things, we're not knocked over. We're not about ready to slip off the, the slope. 
Let's pray. God, thank you so much for what you have done for us and what you continue to do for us. Everything about your past, your present, and your future all points to having a relationship with you. God, it just doesn't make sense if our the creator of the universe wants to have a relationship with me, but we are so grateful that you do. God, help us to live within the truth that you are near, that you care for us, you hear us. And let us begin to live our lives as a reflection of that truth. Let us confess those sins if there's any sins in our life. Let us get more connected with your word and your family. We ask for your help as we live life hoping for the future, but living in a life of struggle. Help us to remain faithful as you are faithful to us. In Jesus' name.